Mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, as we consider this passage, we pray as always for insight and understanding into who you are and into who we are and into the kind of relationship you're calling us into with you, with ourselves, and with each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's great to see everybody here today on a, a cold and wintry day here in New York, as Alex already mentioned. With that said, it is warm in here because Nick and the band are absolutely on fire today. Thank you, team, for all that you're doing and for being here. And uh, we are looking forward to that time when everybody can come back together and worship together. Of course, we're going to remain on Zoom, but we want to see uh, you here in the building if you can be here. And so we're working toward that that uh, that time. But uh, until then, we're going to keep keep uh, moving forward here on, on Zoom, and we are thankful for your presence here today. We are continuing our series on equality. It's been a fun journey, a great journey. Michelle and I have been tag-teaming over the last couple of weeks, and we're so thankful for the work Michelle has been doing for us. She'll actually be leading out again next week. Then I'll be back with you. And then we close the series on equality with a special guest, Claudia Allen, at the end of March. Now, our text of emphasis today comes from the book of Beginnings, Genesis, and it's here that we find the narrative of the creation story. Actually, I should say the first narrative. We have a repeat of the creation story uh, in Genesis chapter 2. This double account of creation follows a common ancient uh, biblical literary tool of repetition used to emphasize important concepts. I have been occasionally accused by family members of others of repeating myself. I don't know if it's old age or what, but I just, uh, I may note that um, I'm just using an ancient biblical literary tool when I do so. So anyway, uh, Genesis 1 and 2, really repetition of the story. So we're looking at Genesis 1 today, but we're also going to take a look at uh, Genesis 2. And so in looking at Genesis 1, though, 27, it should be pretty clear that we are focusing today on the issue of equality between uh, genders. Now, I'm not an expert on the subject of gender equality, and the last thing I want to do is to try to mansplain to, uh, to you today, so I'm going to do my, uh, my best to humbly explore this topic, recognizing that there are others in our community who will contribute to this topic, uh, including many of our own women here. And we're going to continue to hear from them on this subject, but also on uh, all subjects. You may have noticed that we are attempting to have half of all of our sermons this year coming from female voices. We've spent the first 64 years of Advent Hope's existence primarily hearing the male voice in sermonic teaching. It's in the 65th year of our existence, and it's, it's now time to make a, a change. So we're going to do our our best to make sure that we have a diversity in all aspects of what we're doing here at Advent Hope, and in particular, uh, gender diversity and gender equality. So let's, uh, let's jump in as we consider Genesis chapter 1. Again, there's one thing that is very clear. God's original plan was that men and women would have equality as stewards of the planet. Let's look at the text specifically. Again, Genesis 1, 27. So God 
created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, I'm going to try to bust out with a little Hebrew, and a little is all I, I know, so bear with me. God created Adam. That's the, that's the word for humankind. God created Adam in his own image, Salem. That's the image. Adam, Salem, in the image of God, he created them. Zakar, male, uh, Nekabov, a female. These are the, 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 the words from which we de- derive or are translated the concepts of male and female and humankind and so on. Adam is humankind, and it was created, humankind was created both male and female. That is overt, and they are both in the image of God. The image of God is both male and female according to the biblical text. That's biblical. God transcends our understanding of gender. He is represented by uh, both genders. Adam is male and female, the, the, the human race, the human kind. Now, Genesis 2 goes into more detail about how the creation actually took place. And so if you've got your digital Bibles or your old school Bibles there, you can turn a page to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Like we said, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 go together. It's a repetition of the story, a little different language, a little different style. And so in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we get kind of the mechanics in Genesis 2, verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed a, a, a person, Adam, from the dust of the ground and breathed into its nostrils the breath of life, and the Adam became a living being. Then the Lord God, again, looking at, at the Hebrew, then the Lord God formed Adam from the loose soil, the Adama. And so in the Genesis 2 narrative, God creates humans from the soil. And the root word used to describe the human, Adam, is the same word as the ground, Adama. So Adam comes from Adama, ground. This means humanity is described in Genesis 2 as being of the earth, a human of the earth, if you will, being of, of the clay, of the, of the earth. By the way, if you've you know, ever wondered uh, about uh, Christians and, and uh, the environment, the biblical narrative is very clear. We are from this earth. We are made of the stuff of the earth. God used the earth, the, the clay, the Adama, to make Adam, to make the, the, the first humans. And so we have a responsibility to be stewards of this earth. That is absolutely overtly clear. And so God, the picture is that God gets down on his hands and knees on the ground and forms the first human from the ground, from the clay. And, and then we have human after he breathes his breath into the Adam, the, the, the form that he's made, made from the earth. Uh, God creates the second human then from the same stuff as the first human. And then and only then do we have the full image of God represented in humanity. Only when both male and female exist do you have a full picture in humanity of God. And then the Bible says it was good. It was good. Once these are, are both made male and female are both made from the same exact stuff from the, 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 the from the ground we come from the ground now a side note and not to get too caught up on the color of skin today but if you've ever seen dirt or clay or earth it's usually pretty dark in fact the word uh, adam and adama so adam is the humankind 
Adama is, is the earth, the soil. It's, those words also are the root for the word red or red dye. And so the idea is that uh, God got down in this red clay and he created the first human, the first Adam from this red clay. And the implication is pretty clear that, uh, you know, again, dirt and soil are dark. So we have to imagine that the first humans were surely, surely dark skinned. Those artists from the Middle Ages, they have led us astray when they per, uh, portrayed the creation characters as a white Europeans. That is just not, doesn't, doesn't correspond with what we hear from the biblical story of God using the stuff of this earth, the clay of this earth, the red clay of this earth to make the first humans. Um, anyway, that's a side note. Uh, clearly, though, the original plan was for equality and equity in the relationship between male and female when God made things as described in both Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. And so this means that what has happened to the relationship between male and female since that point was not part of God's original plan. And we know, of course, exactly what has happened. Women have experienced thousands of years of inequality, inequity, abuse, being treated as property, and being treated as less than human. All of this is a deranged and deformed image of God's original plan for the relationship between male and female, between man and women. I think it's safe to imply that gender inequality predates even racism. I mean, if you look at the Bible, Bible narrative, uh, racism probably doesn't enter, enter the picture until a little later in the story. There was certainly enough time for the subjection of, of, of women. And so uh, gender inequality predating even a racism. And of course, both of these have continued to be dreadful companions throughout human hi history. Here in the, you might know this, here in the United States, uh, black men, former slaves, were actually given the right to vote before women of any ethnicity. Uh, black men in 1870, when the, with the passage of the 15th Amendment, women, though, didn't get the right to vote until the 19th Amendment. Almost 50 years later, that was passed in 1920. Now, of course, you know, Jim Crow laws inhibited many black men from voting until even much later in the 20th century. But by law, the 15th Amendment uh, allowed black men to vote. Women, not of any ethnicity of any color were not permitted to vote until 1920. Both genders in the Bible were given the mandate to be stewards of this planet, to look after and care for creation. They were to oversee the animals and take care of them, to take care of the planet. But human history shows that one half of the human family, of the Adam, one half has continually experienced systemic subjection. These are the facts. These are the facts. This is the reality of human existence. But at least, at least we have the Christian church, the embodiment of God's kingdom in this broken world where, where God's ideal for the community is to be reflected and where the creation order is supposed to be being restored. That's the whole idea of the kingdom. That's why Jesus came to establish the kingdom, that the creation order was to be restored. But uh, alas, alas, even in the church, gender inequality has been perpetuated. 
In fact, in many ways, the church today is the most egregious perpetuator of inequality, which leads to our key question for today. Why? Why have Christians continued to perpetuate gender inequality? It doesn't make sense, especially as we think back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and this foundational idea that God created in equality. Why then have Christians continued to perpetuate gender inequality? Now, there are a bunch of answers and responses to this question. I've prepared three for you today to consider. Firstly, the Bible. The Bible is male-dominated in its, in its language. Uh, the Bible is full of stories and illustrations that feature men. God presents himself as a man over and over and over again. And because of this male-dominated revelation, we assume that this reflects God's intention for how things are supposed to operate. But what we have to understand is the difference between description and prescription. You know, a description describes what happened. A prescription is an instruction as to how to act. And the Bible is full of a lot of description and actually much less prescription. Male dominance in the Bible isn't a prescription for how humans are to interrelate to each other, but rather a description of how the relationship between man and woman, male and female, has devolved since the fall. That's the assertion I'm making. This is not prescriptive. God isn't saying that men are supposed to dominate over women. This is a description of what happened after the fall. The Bible has a very specific purpose. We use the Bible for many things, but I would suggest there's a very specific purpose to communicate God's work throughout human history on behalf of all of humanity. That's, that's the, the core of what the Bible is about. It's a, a narrative, a story of God working through human history to, to, to redeem things, to bring us uh, back into full relationship with God. The Bible culminates in God's most overt action of interjecting himself into the human story as Jesus, the Son of God. And so the Bible is communicating this story of God's action for the purpose of leading humans toward rescue in Him. That's what God is trying to do. He's going to communicate that the world is a broken place, but God has a plan, and He's been working on that plan since the beginning of human history. And the thread of that story of his plan for rescue is, is, the, is the focus of the Bible. We use the Bible for all kinds of other things, but that is the core. But God had to communicate this narrative of his work in language that humans would understand and in a cultural con context that humans would be able to grasp onto. And because of the, the, the dominance of, of, of the, 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 the male experience throughout human history, he's going to speak in the language, he's going to get this message across in a language that people would understand and be able to embrace. And since the fall, uh, God has communicated in this very particular way. He's male dominance. This is not something that God has initiated. It's a result of the fall. That's, now, this isn't to say that there aren't female descriptions of God in the Bible. There certainly are. Uh, God is a mother hen. That's my favorite. Looking over her chicks. It's a great one. Uh, but it, there's no question. Most of the illustrations, most of the language is male-centric. That's, 
unfortunately, that is the reality, but that's God working in the messed up system that was initiated since the fall. This isn't because he likes men more than women, or he wants to perpetuate male dominance because, he's, uh, because he, he thinks that's the way to go. It's because he's working within the confines of the human experience with a very specific goal in mind to communicate his work for humans so that we, Adam, we as humankind, can come to belief in him. God is calling us to believe in him and his work a work that runs throughout the narrative of the Bible, and so he communicates in the language in which we're going to understand, and that happens to be, because of the fall, male-dominated. A lot more we could talk about there, but we're going to move on. Second reason, why the Christians continue to perpetuate uh, inequality when it comes to gender. Well, the Apostle Paul mentions male headship in marriage, and this is a big issue. Christians perpetuate gender inequality because some believe that the Bible instructs it, the Bible is teaching it, and the most egregious misinterpretation is, is the idea of headship, and it's found primarily in Ephesians chapter 5. So again, if you've got a Bible or you've got a digital Bible, you can check this out. This is Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21. It says this, this is the Apostle Paul, one of the, the most prominent proclaimers of the, of the gospel in the New Testament, and he says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, Love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. This passage, this passage is specifically talking about the marriage relationship. There is no way around this. And yet this passage has been used to perpetuate the idea that all women are, should be submissive to all men. This is not talking about that. It's not talking about every relationship a man has to a woman or every woman relationship a woman has to a man. Uh, we don't, again, we don't have time to get into all that's, that's said here by Paul. This could be a whole another sermon, a whole another, another topic that we can put on for a later conversation. But what we can say here definitively, definitively is that this is a command in the context of the marriage relationship. And the command starts by saying, submit to one another. The whole idea is that each, each, part of the, 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 each partner in the marriage covenant is submitting to the other. It's a mutual submission between husband and wife. And yet, yet this passage has been distorted by some to promote the idea that women in general should be submissive to men in general. No, that's not what it's talking about. That's a, that's a bad use of the Bible. This description is a description of marriage. And even then, it's not promoting inequality or inequity in marriage even, but rather a strategy for Christ-likeness within the sacred bond of marriage. Again, there's a lot more 
to unpack there. And uh, we should talk about that more in the, the future. But we are going to move on to our third response to this question. Why do Christians continue to perpetuate the idea of inequity? By the way, I should mention, and I think Michelle is going to put this in the, the chat, that there is a great podcast, Advent Next, and it deals with some of the very issues that we're talking about uh, today. Specifically, I think she's going to mention uh, one of the podcasts related to hermeneutics and how we interpret the Bible. And so you look in the chat, Michelle will put that in there for you. Definitely something to check out. That's from Kendra Arsenal, who has been here with us, as you know. And so we hope that uh, you will use that resource as we continue to wrestle through the Bible, but specifically in this issue of how do we interpret the Bible? What was that command by Paul supposed to, to, to communicate that all women are to be sub, uh, subjects to all men? No, no, that's a bad use of the Bible. All right, so response number three to this issue of why so much inequality even in the church. Well, the world has always featured gender inequality, at least since the fall. That's, that's the narrative of the Bible story. And we, as, as the church, have simply followed along in worldliness. The church has perpetuated gender inequality and inequity because it has been part, that is gender inequality and inequity, it has been part of the world since the fall, as described in Genesis 3. And rather than being leaders in restoration on this issue, the church has just followed along in the worldliness of injustice. The church has become worldly in this matter. I mean, we should be fighting against the results of the fall. We should be working toward the future where the, uh, the pre-fall existence is in effect again. That, that's the idea of the kingdom. It's working, looking forward to the future when all things are made, made new. And so, I mean, this doesn't make any sense. It'll take a second to look at the curse story in Genesis 3, you can see we're in Genesis, you would look to Genesis 1, our text of emphasis, Genesis 2, in that create, creative narrative of, of Adam and Adama. Now let's look at Genesis chapter 3. You may know the story. It's described there where the first humans, male and female. And by the way, we don't get a proper name until after the fall. Before the fall, it's male and female. They're, 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 uh, they're Adam together. And so, the narrative of Genesis 3, though, is that uh, these uh, Adam, the, the humans, the humankind, male and female, they choose to exercise their free will and eat from the tree in the garden from which God told them not to eat. It was an expression in, or an exercise in self-expression and in free will outside of the boundaries of a healthy relationship with them themselves and God. The tree had been put in the garden to give them the opportunity to have free will and uh, they exercised that free will in the worst way possible and caused all kinds of mess. And so that leads us to uh, this narrative that we want to read in Genesis 3. As we said, the narrative goes, the, the woman leads the way. She's the first explorer of the tree, if you, if you will. She takes the, the fruit, whatever that fruit was, and, and she eats some, and then she gives some to the, to the male, the other uh, Adam. And as a result of this, God shows up and describes the outcome of this tragic decision. And so let's look first at his, God's description of the outcome for the man. This is, uh, again, chapter 3 of Genesis. God says, 
to Adam, to Adam, to the, to the male, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to the dust you will return. There's the Adama again. From Adama you are, and to Adama you will go. So Adam, Adam will go back to uh, Adama. That's the, that's the implication. That's, that's the description of what is going to happen because of, of the decision that was taken to exercise free will and to eat from this, uh, from this tree. That's the description for, uh, for the man, for the male. That he's going to work the fields, but it's going to be hard. It, it used to be an easy and enjoyable thing. Now it's going to be toil, and there's gonna, it's going to be involved sweat, and the ground is going to fight against you, and there's going to be thorns, and it's just it's a bad scene. It's going to be tough. Life is going to be different. It's going to be challenging. And so that leads to the question, well, what, what tragic outcome awaits the woman? What, what, what is God going to dictate to the woman? Would he initiate thousands of years of oppression? Would he dictate that she could never aspire to leadership? Would she be confined to only work in menial jobs? Would she be enslaved to be treated as property? Would she be disallowed from participation in civil or religious positions? What, what terrible fate awaits her? What would be the result of the fall for her. Well, we read that in chapter 3 in verse 16. To the woman, God said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Wait, where's the part about them being treated unequally for thousands of years? Where is the part about them being subject to the rule of all men? Where, where is that in this curse statement? It's not there. All, all, all God says is painful childbirth is going gonna, is gonna to be the curse of this. You are going to experience painful childbirth. That is the result of the curse for the woman. Now, of course, there were other implications, but this is specifically what God is saying is this is going to happen. You this painful childbirth. So the man is going to sweat of his brow, going to have to break the ground. But for the, for the woman, for the female, painful childbirth. That is the result of the curse. And then God describes the outcome of the curse. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now, I ask you this. Is that portion prescriptive or descriptive? It's actually an open question. Was God saying that a husband is to rule over over the uh, the wife? And by the way, ruling over that has a whole that's a whole nother story for a whole nother day. It's certainly not oppressive ruling where a husband is now permitted to 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 subjugate a woman to a lesser status. That doesn't make any sense. That wasn't God's plan. And so, is that even prescriptive or descriptive? Is God maybe just describing what is going to happen because of the circumstances of the fall? That's an open question. We'll leave it that that for another day. What we, though, come easily to find is that the world 
has featured gender inequality since the fall, since this, uh, since this curse. And I would assert to you that that was neither God's intention nor his doing. We as humans have created this mess and this imbalance, and we should be the ones working to rectify it. God did not initiate inequality or inequity between man and woman. He said, you're, you're going to have painful childbirth, and your relationship in, in, between husband and wife, it's, it's, it's changing. The dynamic changes a little bit. But there's not subjection from all men to all women. That is not in the Bible. We have created that mess. Now, I'm being uh, generous when I say uh, we, and maybe I should be more specific. You know, that, that we, you really got as men, we have to say, you know, that we, that's mostly us, right? We've created this mess. We've subjected uh, women for thousands of, of years to second-class citizenship. Got to be honest. Now, you might say to yourself, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Look, uh, you know, this is a result of the curse, and we really shouldn't mess with that. I mean, God instituted uh, the, the, the curse, and yeah, maybe it led to this, but we got to be careful. God initiated we shouldn't undo what God has instituted. But think about that. I've heard that argument, by the way, before. That's why I bring it up. But, you know, think about that. I mean, I'm not sure that makes any sense at all. You know, the truth is we've spent thousands of years trying to fix the problem of the ground being cursed and labor being difficult. We, we, we have developed all kinds of technologies so that the, our work as humans doesn't have to be as difficult as it, as it once was. We've, we've cleaned up the land so there's fewer uh, thorns around, and we've created machinery that we can break up the ground, and we can do that work a lot easier. And the truth is, for most of us, our work doesn't involve the sweat of our brow. We're sitting behind a desk somewhere. Right now, we're sitting in our, in our bedrooms, on our computers. You know, I mean, what kind of, what, it's a different kind of toil, but it's not the toil that was spoken of in Genesis chapter 3. So we've created technology to overcome and move beyond the, the curse. Uh, truthfully, we've even tried to overcome some of the issues with childbirth. I mean, thank God there are medications. You, you know, you saw Susanna. My wife gave birth to three. <laughs> and I was there right there by her side. And uh, it was painful for her. It was painful for her. Um, I was as supportive as I could be. And I, you know, I, I, I got those little ones. I was involved. I was there. But I didn't experience the pain. She experienced the pain. But she, she even got to take some medicine. Because we are trying to overcome the curse. So we take a little medicine. It helps. It doesn't make things completely pain-free. But, you know, it's there. So we've always been working to overcome the issues of the curse. Why, then, wouldn't we want to do that when it comes to injustice? Just as we work against the results of the fall in these ways, we should be also working against the injustice that came out of the curse uh, when it comes to gender inequality and inequity. That is our work. We're looking toward a future, a new thing. We're, we're going to a new, new Eden. And so it begs the question, well, how do, we, how do we do this? How do we overcome our bias, our prejudice, 
our preconceptions and become people of equality and justice? That is the big question we've been asking on all of these subjects, but in particular today, how do we overcome these, these, these issues in, in regards to gender inequality? Well, as always, we look to the crucified Jesus. John says it like this. This is 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. In Jesus' sacrificial death, we find both our hope for the future, but also our mandate for life as followers of Jesus. Lives that are full of sacrificial action for our brothers and sisters in humanity, in Adam. And because Jesus was an activist for justice, we can be empowered to the same kind of activism, activism because Jesus died and was full of the Spirit. As we embrace His work, God can fill us with the ability to be the kind of people He's calling us to be and work toward justice. In Jesus, we have one who has always been striving for gender equality and equity, who Yes, worked within the cultural context that he came to in first century Judea, but also empowered women to minister to the gospel. After his resurrection, he first appeared to women. Could have appeared to anyone. First appeared to women, making them the first preachers of the good news. And that good news is based on the reality of the resurrection. That God will make alive that which is dead. But this resurrection isn't just confined to our bodily existence. It's a resurrection of our minds as well. And this resurrection starts to do its transformative work the moment we express faith in the risen Lord Jesus. Everything comes back to the work of Jesus. As we embrace the gospel, the gospel that was first proclaimed by women, as we see the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross as the means for our hope, as we allow God's Spirit to work within us, through confession, God will give us a new mind and help us to grow in new ways. This will manifest itself, not in small thinking, but in broad and progressive thinking that sees love for our brothers and sisters as the key aspect of our Christianity. You know, there are those who feel like uh, Christianity shouldn't be worried about the issues that we've been talking about this last month, issues of earthly justice. You think there are bigger issues than gender equality or racial justice. They think we should be talking about more spiritual things. But tell me, please, what is more spiritual than justice? According to God, nothing. Consider the words of God through the great prophet Amos. This is Amos chapter 5 and Verse 21, words that should sear into our hearts and minds as Christians. God, speaking through Amos, says this, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. He is condemning the work of spiritual people who are doing spiritual and religious things because their hearts aren't in line with God. I will not accept them, he says. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. You're singing spiritual songs, but I'm sick of them. I will not listen to the music of your harps. 
but let justice roll on like river, like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. God cares about justice. This is at the heart of what he came to, is to relieve the brokenhearted, to bring justice and equity to those who are broken. These issues of justice in this broken world are deeply important to the God of justice, and they should be to us too. Listen, Adventist, you know, this is a community that is rooted in the Adventist tradition. Adventists should be the most vigorous advocates for gender equality in the entire world. I mean, one of our three founders was a progressive woman in the 19th century. For heaven's sake, we believe in the literal creation story that God indeed got down on his hands and knees and took the uh, the, the atom of the, the, the ground and he made a human from it, made two humans from it, started the whole human race there. We believe in that literal story where God used his hands to create male and female. And we embrace the gospel, which was first presented and communicated to us by women. Adventists should be the most vigorous advocates for gender equality. And the good news is that now in Jesus we can become those advocates for justice and equality. We can strive for the new Eden. We can look forward with hope, not back with longing. We can get on board with the work that God is doing toward justice already as he prepares for his soon return, a return that will bring true justice and final justice. But until then, may God do what only he can do in our hearts and in our minds as individuals, and as a community so that we can be transformed to be advocates, vigorous advocates for justice, for gender justice, for equality and equity as we go forward awaiting his return. May God do that in us today. Amen. <laughs>